open our Bibles to Acts chapter 26. I'll be reading verses 9 through 11. Acts chapter 26, verses 9 to 11. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not, a, not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme, and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Good morning, everybody. you don't know my name yet, uh, it's Young Kim, pretty easy to remember, pretty generic. Um, and I am, as uh, we've been announcing, uh, one of the new pastors here. Um, and obviously today for me is a, is a unique day because it marks my first official Sunday um, uh, here and um, as part of the staff. And uh, you know, my family and I, we are very excited about um, this new season moving up here. Um, I'm from, you know, Santa Clara, you know, San Jose, Cupertino. So, uh, you know, it's, it's coming back home after 11 years. It's, uh, you know, there's a special sweetness um, to that. And, uh, you know, I can kind of see God just doing some amazing things um, to make that happen. And... Um, I think he's, he's got more in store, you know, and, and he has me here for a reason, not just to, uh, you know, enjoy beautiful Silicon Valley and, um, you know, get to watch the Warriors every time they play instead of just when they play the Lakers or the Clippers, um, you know. But simple pleasures like that, um, as well as just, you know, I think God is going to do some amazing things. And so we're excited. Uh, my wife, Christy, uh, and our four kids they are not here today. They won't be able to join us until June because, um, you know, school, uh, they, they need to finish up school, and um, it's going to be a while. And uh, I got to tell you, the first, it's only been two days, but I already miss them. Um, call me a, a wuss or whatever, but, yeah, and I already miss them. So, uh, yeah, like Pastor Susan was saying, um, I'm lonely. Give me a call. <laughs> Let's have coffee, lunch, whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, San Jose has changed so much in 11 years that, man, it's like exploring a whole new city. It's, it's going to take years for me to get to, you know, get reacquainted with the city. So um, I'd love to do that with you. So, um, yeah, open invitation. Um, Pastor Susung, when he asked me to bring the word today, uh, I thought a little bit about, you know, what to talk about. You know, we're kind of in between series, so, you know, there's a little flexibility. And I figured, well, you know, what better thing to do than to 
um, maybe preach something that gives a little window into who I am, a little window into my heart and my passion, and uh, in the process, um, give a, hopefully a bigger window into God's heart. And so um, the way I'm going to do that today is I'm going to recount for you um, three different stories from three very different people, and then we're going to close with a, a little video clip, and then we're going to, as you see, we're going to celebrate with the Lord's Supper. So that sound like a good plan to you? Yeah? All right, good. Um, let's pray. Pray with me. Lord, um, we're so grateful to be here, and uh, we just ask that um, you would make yourself known even more, uh, more powerfully, more intimately, um, in every way, and uh, use me in whatever way you wish, and I pray that, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would just uh, perk up our ears and our hearts and prepare us to really receive some good things from your word today. We, um, we wait with anticipation, O oh Lord. We know we don't come without expectation. We come expecting and excited uh, to hear what you have to share with us, what you have to bless us with. And so as children um, come into the Father, um, that is the attitude that we pray for. Thank you so much. Clear our minds and uh, bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so the first story, like I said, we're going to share, uh, talk about three stories. And uh, the first story comes from the life of a man who was born into a family of proud lineage, you know, a, a family of renown and privilege, um, you know, good reputation. Um, and maybe even more important than that, than that uh, this man actually bought into all of that stuff. Um, he really believed it and lived it. You know, you could have somebody who, who is raised in a, um, a family, a background of privilege, but then they kind of, you know, want to get away from that for whatever reason. But this man, he really embraced it uh, for better and for worse. And, uh, and then one day, he has an encounter that just completely wrecks him um, for good. And uh, you may have already guessed his name. This man's name is Saul, Saul of Tarsus, also known by his Greek name, Paul. All right. Now, Saul came from the city of Tarsus. I'm going to give you a little background on who he is, just so that when we get into um, our passage today, Acts 26, you'll have like this background knowledge to really fill in like the emotion um, and really get a sense of what's going on in our passage. So the background, um, he's from Tarsus. Tarsus is a city, uh, or was a city, that was known as like the center of um, intellectualism back then and, and philosophy. Uh, they had a university, um, and Saul himself was um, a student there. And uh, one of the, the main professors, I guess you would call it, um, back then it was a rabbi, uh, was, his name was Gamaliel. Now, Gamaliel doesn't really, you know, get us excited, but uh, Gamaliel is a pretty extraordinary man um, in that even today, 2,000 years later, people are still um, in awe of his academic contributions to the study of Jewish law. People will still refer to him 
and his commentary, and, and he's, Gamaliel was a brilliant man. Um, and so he was a rabbi there, and Saul, Paul, he was one of his students. Um, now, being the student of such a, an intelligent you know, guy, like I said, Gamaliel, one of the best known rabbis of all time, not just his time, of all time, um, uh, you know, when, when the chief priests would you know, have a difficulty with an you know, a interpretation of the Old Testament, um, and they couldn't figure it was too sophisticated, this question, this issue, whatever, and they couldn't figure it out, they would go to Gamaliel. And Saul, learning under him, of course, he, being a brilliant you know, man himself, um, picked all of this stuff up. And so he's, I mean, he's getting the best of the best. Um, you know, if we had to compare today, um, it would have been like, you know, for Paul, who is like this expert in the Jewish law, he would have graduated from like Harvard Law School. And not just a graduate, he would have been like the top graduate. He would have been like the valedictorian. Um, the interesting thing about Paul is he not only was this expert student in the law, he actually like loved it. Like he loved it. So it wasn't like an occupation for him. It was a hobby. And it was like this perfect intersection of like hobby and interest and, and um, ability. And so uh, for, for, for Saul, I mean, uh, the law was just it's a beautiful thing that he devoted his life uh, to. He devoted his life to not only the interpretation and the knowledge of the law, but he devoted himself to the enforcement of the law. He wanted you know, all his Jewish brothers and sisters to, to be on point with the law. That was like his passion, his desire. So he's not just an expert in law. He actually loves the Old Testament, the, the law uh, for them, the scriptures. So um, with this little background of you know, getting a, a sliver of a picture of, of what kind of person uh, Saul is and what makes him tick and what gets him excited, I think that'll give us a neat little um, picture um, into Acts chapter 26. So if you want to turn there, um, we'll get into our first story. Verse 1. It's, uh, I'm going to read from this version, NIV. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. What's going on here? Well, as we're going to find out later, but just so that you can kind of understand what's going on. He has been arrested on false charges um, because there are people who do not like what he's teaching um, and he's Obviously, he's teaching about Jesus, so they don't like it, and uh, they've arrested him, um, and now they're they're uh, they're giving him an opportunity because he is a Roman citizen, so he has a right as a citizen to like a trial, and so um, this is part of that whole process. It's kind of a, a big, long you know story, but um, that's kind of the gist of it. And so he's standing; he finds himself here before this court with these royal officials, one of whom is Agrippa, and so Paul begins his defense, and he. Um, addresses King Agrippa. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews. You can already tell he's a lawyer, right? Um, he's got all the lingo down. He knows what to say. Um, all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. 
The Jewish people all know the way that I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I'm going to pause there. This whole first section of his defense, what he's trying to establish, what he's trying to communicate to the court and to us, is that he is the Jews of all Jews. He's like a true blue Jew. Okay, say that to your neighbor. True blue Jew. <laughs> okay, that is what he's trying to establish here. He's, he's trying to remind his audience that the, you know, these people, they, they know who Paul is. It's not like he's just this random criminal that has appeared before them. They know of him. They, they may know his family. Okay? Some of you guys here know each other, um, have known each other for that long. Okay? And so he's, he's, now he's standing, imagine you're standing up here defending yourself. This is what he's doing. And so his first thing is, he's appealing to them. He's saying, hey, you guys know who I am. Okay? It's not like I've been abducted by aliens and this is, you know, an alien in my body. This is still, still me. And he reminds them that I, I followed all the rules. And my family followed all the rules. So there's no way that you can uh, pick at anything in my family background to say that I fall short of following the law. You know, that's his passion, right? And so he goes on, verse 9. You see, I too, like you, was convinced that I need to do everything possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He's saying that I was on... I, I know. You hate Jesus. I hated Jesus too. I hated Jesus more than you hate Jesus. Okay? That's my, you know, that's my claim to fame, he's almost saying. In fact, he goes on and he, he explicates and expands on all the different ways that he hated Jesus. Here's what I did. This is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's... Now he's bragging. <laughs> I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to, be- to death, I-, I was one of the ones who cast my vote against them. So he's kind of building this, this resume of how I hated Jesus. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. I tried to force them to blaspheme even. That's like the worst thing that, that somebody could do in his eyes. And so he would try to force them to do that and say, Aha, look, I caught you. Now you go to jail, right? So that was his plan. I was so, even in his own words, I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. If he were alive today, some of us might look at him and say, Paul, dude, get alive. Right? Like, this is what you're doing? You're... You're going around even to, like it's one thing to in your own neighborhood to try to, you know, track down these people that you hate. It's another to like actually 
go to a foreign city and use your own money and take time to, man, you really believe in this, right? You really hate this guy. This Jesus. Then verse, uh, verse 12. Then on one of these journeys, I was on my way to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. You know, they, I, they backed me up on this. Around noon, King Agrippa, I was uh, on the road and I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing all around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The Lord replied, Very, very interesting encounter here. Because <laughs> what we see happening here is the very person that he's trying to eradicate, you know, he's trying to eradicate Jesus' memory because at this point, you know, Jesus has already died and resurrected and ascended. And so Paul has made it his life, his personal life mission to like track down all the members of this Jesus cult and kill them or arrest them and just, or at least make them like confess that, you know, they don't believe in this Jesus anymore. And all of a sudden, on one of these missions, that's his mission, he has this encounter. And it's the very one whom is being uh, persecuted. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now remember, he has fallen to the ground. Imagine, how bright must a light be to actually physically knock you down? So this amazing, brighter than the sun light, it just, it just boom, appears, fall to the ground, they hear a voice, and uh, he's wondering, who is this speaking? And the voice identifies himself, I am Jesus. And then verse 16 says, Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant, as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I want to pause here in the story to do, take a little um, digression. And to uh, the reason I want to do that, I want to encourage you with something here that I noticed. Um, if, you know, some of us, well, we're all in different uh, stages of our relationship with Jesus, whether it's, you know, we've known him for 20 years or five years or, we, you know, we don't know him yet, okay? And anywhere, that's, that's, that's fine, wherever we are. At this point, Paul, in his, you know, timeline, I guess, he doesn't yet know Jesus. He's like in the beginning, right? And when Jesus appears to him here, I think Jesus says something so beautiful. He says that you're going to be a witness of what you have seen and what you will see of me. Now, why I think that's so encouraging is this. Jesus already knows that he's going to appoint Paul to be his mouthpiece, the mouthpiece of Jesus in a world and culture 
where people hate Jesus. So if you're going to identify yourself with someone who is villainized and hated, then you know you better be prepared to you know, receive a similar kind of persecution, right? Jesus, knowing this, he gives Paul, and being able to see in the future, knowing that Paul's going to suffer. He's going to suffer tremendously. He's going to get beaten with rods. He's going to get um, slashed with this cat of nine tails several times. He's going to get shipwrecked. He's going to be naked. He's going to be imprisoned wrongly. I mean, this is all going to happen. Paul doesn't know this yet. Jesus does. And Jesus says, there are things that you have seen, but guess what, Paul? I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do more things in the future. I'm going to show you things that you are just going to blow your mind. Jesus, in the beginning of his relationship with Paul, gives him this comfort that he's going to mine from in the future. And Jesus, I believe, does this for all of us. Whomever he calls to follow him is going to face difficult times. Heck, you don't even have to be a Christian to go through difficult times, amen? Right? That's just part of living in this broken world. You know, I like to think of the world as a giant grandfather clock with gears that are stripped, pegs that are missing, cobwebs. It's just, it's barely moving along. It's not as it should be. And so living in a world like this, you know, why should we be surprised that bad things happen, right? And yet Jesus says, there are things that I have done that you have seen, but you know what, Paul? That's not the end. In the future, when you're going through a difficult time, when you suffer the consequences of the world's brokenness, when you suffer the consequences of your own foolishness, I will be there and I will do. As you look there, it says, things that you have seen and will see of me. Brothers and sisters, what you have seen up to this point of God, there's so much more to come. And that's an encouragement that I hope will, will give you strength to persevere. I know there are times um, in the past year, I don't know if I'll ever, you know, at some point maybe I might share, but um, the past two, three years has been really tough with health issues and all this different stuff, things at work, you know, just like you guys have things at work, family stuff, issues with the in-laws. And, you know, there have been certain points where I'm just like ready to just throw my hands up in the air and say, forget this. I, I'm done. I am done. And this little nugget here where before, at the very beginning of the relationship, Jesus, it's like he's establishing, we're going to go through a journey. It's going to be tough, but there are going to be good times. There are going to be bad times, but I'm always going to be with you. And there will be amazing things that you will see. Not just things in the past, but things to come. So be encouraged as you think about the future of your relationship with Jesus. What is my future with God going to look like? What is it? What does he have in store for me? I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I'm excited.
that gets me excited to think as I look at all of us here, God's going to do something in every person's life, and it's going to be like this amazing movie for, for, for all of us as we you know, get to see that and see each other and be in, be in each other's lives. So we continue Jesus is still speaking to Paul, verse 17. I will rescue you from your own people. And I will rescue you from the Gentiles. Now, the Gentiles is just a technical term for someone who is not a Jew. So basically, (laughs) Jesus is telling Paul, you're going to need to be rescued from this group of people. And then you're going to need rescue from all the rest of the people in the world. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. Because Jews, Gentiles, that encompasses everybody in the world. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Paul has been given this commission. Jesus has knocked him down with this light, saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's he's blind at this point. Who, Who is this? Who's there? I am Jesus. And I'm going to appoint you to be a servant. I'm going to appoint you to be a witness to the things that you have seen and the things that you will see of me. And so he gets this commission from this voice in the light that identifies himself as Jesus, the Son of God, the very one that he you know, hated, right? And so he goes back to King Agrippa. Paul says, so then King Agrippa, it's like kind of, he's kind of like saying, what was I supposed to do? What would you have done, right? With this light and the voice, right? Ooh. Uh, I'm not going to be disobedient to the vision from heaven. Verse 19, verse 20. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. This is what I did. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance with their deeds. And this is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. We kind of look at that and go, what did he do that was so wrong? What was so offensive about why did, he, why did the Jews get so riled up? Verse 22, but God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here. Now verse 22, that's, he's, he's affirming what Jesus promised him, right? Because he says, God has helped me to this very day. Because he's talking about you know, something that happened years ago. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond... What the Old Testament prophets have said, what Moses said was going to happen, you're Moses, you're patriarch, this is what he said was going to happen. I haven't done or said anything more than that. They've, this is the promise. The Messiah would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, he would bring the message of light to his own people and then to the nations. At this point, Festus, another one of the um, officials there, interrupted Paul, said, Paul, what are you talking about? Your great learning has driven you mad. You are crazy. Paul's reply. 
Most excellent Festus, I am not insane. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. Think about this. For Paul, all he's doing is what? Telling his story, right? He's telling the story of what happened. There's no editing really going on. Here's the facts. And he, here he is standing in this royal court before these kings, these important people, people of influence, sharing the gospel. I think we can learn something from this. You know, when, when we think about, when the church thinks about evangelizing and witnessing, doesn't that get you a little nervous, right? Sweaty palms, right? Dry mouth, get a little flesh in the cheeks, as you think like about, I have to share the gospel with you know my coworker, or I have to share the gospel with my cousin, or whatever you know, or or my brother, my sister, my neighbor. And I think, I think we're overthinking that. I think we can learn something from Paul here. Hey, relax. All you need to do, you don't need to try to convince somebody. Just tell your story. That's it. Start there. Just tell your story. Present the facts. No more. And if they want to receive the facts or not, that's not up to you. Your job is to get the facts out there. Now, if we're hiding the facts, now that's a problem. Because why are we hiding the truth? It's just facts. There should be no judgment. Right? You're not editing anything. This is what Jesus has done in my life. This is what I've seen him do. And I believe he's going to do other things. Most excellent Festus, what I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king, he's talking to King Agrippa, who is the the king of Judea. He's kind of like the king of the Jews, right? The king is familiar with these things, aren't you, Agrippa? And I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. You know, this is all across the news. Everybody knows this. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. So here's Paul's little invitation, little open window to Agrippa. Are you ready? Because Agrippa, he's a king. As a king, he knows the, the prophecies. He knows that the Messiah is supposed to come. He knows that Moses and all the prophets have prophesied about this. He knows that Agrippa knows this. So he's now saying, this promised Messiah has come now. He's resurrected. We crucified him, right? We nailed him to the cross. He died. And then now we don't know where his body is. And then not only that, it's not like, you know, people stole his body. He actually appeared. So it's not like a weekend at, you know, Bernie's where Jesus is being pulled by strings and walking around for, you know, a few days. He's actually living. Proof positive. As he said he was, Jesus said he was going to do. He was going to cru- be crucified and then he's going to be resurrected. I'd like to see somebody try, <laughs> try that trick. I, I, I don't think they would be able to do that. Jesus did. Thus, again, affirming his identity that he said he is the Son of God. And so Paul's saying, Agrippa, what do you think? And Agrippa says to Paul, I think what any you know, man or whatever woman might say, 
<laughs> Come on, Paul. Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul replies, it's so wise. It's Holy Spirit is speaking through Paul. Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but everyone here who is listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains, of course. When we witness, when we share our story, and that's our title for today, right? Three stories, one God. When you share your story, don't worry if they believe you or not. Don't worry about that. Instead, take a, take a page out of Paul's playbook here, one of the greatest missionaries and most successful missionaries of all time. And what does he do here? He says, okay, that's fine. I'm not going to push. And he says, I pray. So when you share your story, pray. Pray before, pray during, pray after. Pray. Pray that everyone who's listening to you would become loved by Christ, known by Christ. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice, and the, Bernice's Agrippa's sister, and those sitting with them. And they left the room. They began to say to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or punishment. We don't know why he's arrested. So even the officials are like confused, like, he's not guilty of anything. Because again, what is he doing? All he's doing is reporting the facts. Paul says this really amazing thing in his testimony and in other parts of the Bible you'll see his, he gives his testimony um, in Acts chapter 22 as well as here in 26 and in Timothy and Galatians. Um, so there's v- various places that you'll find him talking about how he was converted, how he became a follower of Christ. And I want to focus in on that part before I move on um, to the other parts. Paul, um, if you look at, let's say, uh, 1 Timothy 1, you don't have to turn there, but it says this. I think, he's talking about his conversion again, his, his own story. I thank Jesus, who has given me strength, that he has considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Now, why is he thankful to Christ for this? This is why. Because even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor of him and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And at that moment, the grace of the Lord, our Lord, was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying. Christ Jesus came into the world. He's he's still talking about his, his story. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example to others. What is he talking about here? Now remember, Paul is an expert in the law, right? His passion is the law. Now, do you know, maybe you know, what the the worst law is that you could break? For someone who is an expert in the law, the worst law in the Old Testament that you could break is a thing called blasphemy. Blasphemy is basically um, uttering malicious words and thoughts against God. That's blasphemy. That's kind of the simple definition, okay? So to do that is the worst Sin according to the law that Paul loves. 
So if you're a blasphemer, okay, or if you let's say you, you want to really annoy Paul, <laughs> you would just kind of walk by him and say, you know, God's not real. Or, you know, your God, your God has B.O. You know, something like that, right? Something that would just tick him off. Because for Paul, who loves the law, of course then he's going to love the highest law, which is don't blaspheme the name of the Lord. Don't utter malicious things about God, against God. That's his worst, that's, that's like the worst sin that you could commit. Well, as it turns out, right? He makes, he makes his personal life mission to eradicate all of these people who are blaspheming against God because they say Jesus is God. For, for him, that's blasphemy. How dare you say Jesus? That's why he hated Jesus and all the people who followed him. And so it's his personal mission to kill these people who say Jesus is God. And then on this road to Damascus, what does he discover? He discovers that Jesus is who he said he was, therefore making him God, which means I am blaspheming against the very God that I have committed my life to. Does that make sense? Right? Do you follow me? He has spent his life honoring this God, loving this God, upholding his name, defending his honor. That's his passion. And then along comes Jesus, who says he's son of God, and of course we got to kill him, because how dare you? And so he makes it this life mission to go after Jesus, and to go after the followers of Jesus, and what he realizes is, in blaspheming Jesus' name and in opposing Jesus, he's opposing his own God. He's opposing his own Father. Can you sense, you know, it, it, when it talks about his conversion, it says that he didn't eat for three days. He didn't drink for three days. Try not drinking any water for three days. See what happens. Do you know why he did that? I believe it's because he had this moment of identity breakdown in Christ. His whole world fell apart because he realized that he was persecuting the very God whom he loved. It'd be like insulting the very person that you... It'd be like insulting God. And that's what he was doing. Do you see the wicked irony that's going on? (laughs) Paul who thinks, who prides himself on being the defender of God's name, is now actually one of the people, one of the worst people in terms of being a blasphemer. And you know what the, the, the price for blasphemy was? The price for blasphemy was they drag you out of the city limits and stone you. Take rocks and do your best Madison Bumgarner you know, impression and peg you in the head and, and kill you with stones. That was what needed to happen. Now, think about this. Paul, knowing this, knowing that he's a blasphemer now because he's, he is blaspheming against Jesus, who is God, he realizes what? I should just die. I should just die. And in that moment, when God can choose to fulfill the law, and end his life, 
God instead chooses to put himself on a cross for Paul's sin so that Paul may live. And this wrecks Paul. He just, he can't understand it. He doesn't get it. For three days, he can't eat, he can't drink. You mean the very God that, that I love and I insulted and I deserve to die because I know that's what the law says and I devote my, law, my life to that law? Now I'm, this God is going to spare me and not only spare me, he's going to spare me by taking on the, the, the cost of sin on himself? And he's, he's ruminating on that. And it's slowly sinking in. And now we can understand when he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy. Why would God consider me trustworthy when I did the worst thing possible? Imagine, what is the worst crime that you can think of? Child molestation? Trafficking, you know, of humans, embezzling from senior citizens who've worked hard for years and years and taking all their pension. I mean, what is the worst sin that you can, being a mass murderer, mass rapist, a terror, I don't know, what is the, whatever that is, imagine if one day you realize you're that. And that's what Paul realized. And he's thankful to God because Christ saved him. That brings us to the second story for today. And I'm just going to share a couple things. The second story is, is some things from my life. Um, like I said, local, raised here. Uh, went to Limbrook High School, uh, Miller Junior High, Westwood Elementary. You, you may know some of those schools. Um, and... Uh, have, you know, I have my uh, sister here, Anna, and my brother here, Emmanuel. Um, you know, grew up in San Jose, just a very typical kind of, you know, Silicon Valley life. And uh, there were a couple things in my life early on that were just seminal moments that really shaped kind of how I think. And, and, and um, early on, I was somebody who, um, at the age of like six, I would ask questions like, what is the purpose of life? You know, what happens after we die? You know, what, 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 what is the purpose of our existence? You know, where do we go? Um, is there life after death? Those kinds of questions. Um, and I was asking that at, you know, the age of, of six. And it's not because I was so precocious or whatever. It was a very practical question for me. Um, what I mean by that is uh, I grew up in the church, much like Paul, okay, grew up in the church, church background, and uh, so we'd go, you know, have church events every weekend, and one weekend, this is when I was uh, like five and a half, um, we went to uh, one of the family's homes after service here, um, and, you know, there were, the parents were in the house doing like a Bible study, and uh, the kids were outside playing in the yard, and we're playing, playing, and uh, the kids decide we all decide to go in from the back front yard to the backyard through the garage. And so we're going, and uh, my shoe's untied. And so I, I remember specifically bending down to tie my shoe uh, before I go into the backyard. And 
um, as I'm tying my shoe, one of the older kids yells out, hey, look in the pool, there's, like, there's a doll. And I go, oh, that's kind of weird, that's kind of cool. So I finish tying my shoe, I run out to the pool, and, and I realize I, that doll looks awfully like my little brother. Wearing the same clothes, but he's not moving. And um, I remember the emergency personnel coming in. I remember it being daylight and then slowly the sun, you know, lowering and then turning into evening and night. And I remember just being in the room. And, and then from there till about, I don't know, um, that was almost six. Um, from there till about like nine eight years old, I don't remember much of my childhood. I lost my brother that night, that day. One of my brothers. Glad to have my uh, two surviving. And uh, it made me wonder. As a little kid, you don't understand death, right? That morning, we had left our house, a bustling family of four, to worship God. And that night we come home, and there's only three. And my question was, where's, where's Eugene? Where's Youngjin? I didn't understand. I didn't get it. And I remember uh, many a day spent after that, walking to school or whatnot, and I would look up in the clouds. And I would wonder, if I look hard enough, maybe I can see Youngjin peeking down from the clouds. This event in my life forced upon me the reality of death. And it's made me part of who I am. I don't have any illusion that this life is more than it is. Because at any moment, life can be snuffed out. And I understood that. And I learned that in a very costly way. But at the same time, like the Bible says, what the world meant for evil, God can turn to good. And God used that painful time in my life to get me thinking about the big, important questions that we spend our lives trying to ignore. Right? We don't like to ask those questions. But that, I, I, I had no choice. I, had to, I needed answers. Thank God he had the answers. And I found the answers in him. And, and part of the reason why I share that story, not only so you can kind of get to know who I am in my heart, but it's an interesting little twist. God is, I don't know, it's just crazy. God is so mysterious. Fast forward uh, 10 years Freshman, uh, before my freshman year in high school, I go to retreat, and guess what? I hear a story. The, pe- the preacher talks about, uh, he makes a story about two brothers. <laughs> the younger brother was a troublemaker. Young Jim was not, but I was more the, the bad kid. And, and then the older brother. And the younger brother got into trouble, and the story was um, he had to go to prison, but the older brother sacrificed himself and went in his place. And that's what the preacher was kind of, it was like his analogy for, 
for the cross, and it clicked for me. As I heard about this story of a brother, and I realized, you know what? I, there are so many times where I wish I had been the one to, to fall in the pool. Then maybe I could have swam. He was too little. He was only two and a half. And that idea of substituting, I wish I could have. I wish, I just wish, and he would still be here with us. And then when I hear this story, you know, like I said, I grew up in church. I see these crosses with this man hanging on it, and it was just a man with a, a cross with a man hanging on it. Now I knew, now I understood what that was. It was the older brother taking the place of the younger brother that the younger brother might live. And I understood it. God was saying, that's the gospel, young. And I did that for you. And that's where young Jin is right now. So I'm on fire now. I'm loving life. I know where my brother is. I know that, you know, everything's going to work out. And so now I'm sharing the gospel and I'm reading the Bible. And this goes on. And, you know, four years of high school, going on to college. I'm still doing the same thing. I'm kind of a, in Korean, it's called tokke. Um, in English, it's like, just like crazy, maybe. I don't know. But like, I'm, so in college, all right, you know, I did that for four years in high school. Let's get, you know, continue to do another four years in college. So I, you know, I'm going to do that and I'm going to be the best Christian that I can be because I love this guy. So in that endeavor to be the best Christian that I can be, guess what happened? I became kind of a hypocrite because what I realized was, hey, if I look holy, then people will think I'm holy and I'm going to get this positive affirmation from people and that must mean I'm a holy guy. And I want to be holy. So I, found, I figured it out. <laughs> Just do everything that the youth pastor tells me to do. And, you know, and, and so I, I spent my life from my freshman year in high school all the way through marriage, believing that I was like a good Christian. Like, I'm better. You know? I, didn't, I'm probably, I wouldn't have said that. But in my heart, when I look at someone who couldn't do their QTs, you know, more than one time a week or whatever, I look down on that person. I don't do that anymore because I really, we'll get to that. I was such a hypocrite. Such a hypocrite. And you know what, what really showed, that, uh, showed me my hypocrisy? It's like that moment like I was talking about when you think you're, you, when you realize you're the worst thing that you could imagine was um, I was the youth pastor here at this church from 1996 to 2003 and some of you here were in my youth group, okay? We were in youth group together. My sister and brother were, were there, and I see some faces. Um, I just want to take this opportunity now. I apologize if I was unbearable. <laughs> there was no ill will or intention. It was just me being stupid and immature and, and a hypocrite. Because what happened was after I got married and after I had kids, I realized that I was not, as a father, I was not as gentle and patient and compassionate and kind as I thought I was. And I looked at the Bible, you know, I go through a day with my kids and I'm just pulling my hair and I'm like yelling and screaming, what are you doing? This is like the thousandth time that I've told you to pick up your clothes. Why can't you pick up your clothes? By the way, this is still a conversation going on 15 years later. I don't, I don't get it. But anyway, so I'm... I'm Seeing myself unravel, okay? Understand, I'm still a pastor. I'm working as a pastor. 
And then I'm preaching on Sunday. Be kind, be compassionate. Hey, you, you need to be kind and compassionate. What's wrong with you? The Bible says to do it. Why can't you do it? And then I go home, and I'm like the least kind and compassionate person ever. I'm making light of it now, but really it was a personal crisis. Am I really a Christian? Should I even be a pastor? And this whole image that I had built up, just like Paul had built up, right? What happened? It crumbled. As I saw my sin and as as I saw myself for who I really am. I share that to kind of draw this commonality between Paul and me and between the next person, the last person that we're going to talk about. And this idea is that we just need to see ourselves for who we are. Let's all just put down our pretenses and be honest with ourselves. And the good thing about that is it's going to be hard, but you know what? The good thing about that is there's hope. There's hope. Sometimes we don't want to take the mask off because we're afraid of what we're going to see beneath. But let me tell you, there's hope. There was for me. And this last story I'm going to close with comes from Luke 7. And it's a story about um, this woman. And some of you may know this story, very familiar. I know that Pastor Susung has um, shared this story a couple of times in the last uh, couple of years. It's about this woman. And this woman, um, in that passage, is described as a sinner in the city. Now, that's actually a euphemism that we wouldn't understand, but back then, it was a euphemism used for a prostitute, a hooker, a whore. And so, in this story, you know, the first two stories, Paul and myself, we have this, this problem is that we're where we built up an image of ourselves and we didn't know who we were, right? The problem for this woman in Luke 7 is that maybe she had too good of an idea of who she was because she was just broken. Now, I don't know what kind of imagery comes to your mind or thought or attitude comes out of your heart when you think of prostitute, right? If a prostitute walk, walked into that, those, those doors, like, what would be your immediate gut reaction? Of course, you wouldn't say it, but what would it be? For me, it would be like, it would have been like dirty, like, ugh, you know? But now that I've gotten married and and I have two kids, uh, our four kids, two daughters, that's kind of changed. Especially as as I hear about like these, you know, human trafficking and people being forced into the sex trade. And, And I think about how they have no, no control over their body. Anyone can come and do as they please to their body and they can't do anything about it. I can't even imagine what that would be like. The loss of control. Do you you know what I'm saying? The the taking away of my dignity as a human being. I I can't even imagine. And this is what this woman in Luke 7 is, is, is going through. She's a prostitute. And so the scene is, there, Jesus is sitting at, at a dinner um, with people, and, and those days they lay down, and uh, this woman comes, this prostitute, and she starts bawling. She doesn't say anything. She starts bawling 
tears on Jesus' feet, and so she, she starts wiping it with her hair, and then she takes her uh, a jar of expensive perfume, which, by the way, was probably used for her job. But at the same time, it was the most valuable thing that in her possession. She didn't have her dignity. All she had was this, was money. And so she gave that to Jesus. And it caused a scene. And I'm wondering, why would this woman, who is on like the lowest rung of society, what would possess her to barge into a dinner like that? If you were a prostitute feeling like that, would you want to go into a place of like, you know, where there's proper etiquette? No, you wouldn't. Why? Because every, all eyes would be on you, right? So what would possess a woman of doing that to go into this place where there are all these men? Why would she do that? And so I'm looking, and, and I think I know the answer. If you look in Luke chapter 5 and Luke chapter 6, just look at some of the, the titles there. Jesus cleanses a leper. Jesus heals a paralytic. Jesus heals a man with a withered hand. Jesus ministers to the great multitude. Jesus raises someone from the dead. Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are hungry. Blessed are you who weep. For one day you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and they revile you and they spurn your name. Rejoice in that day for the Son of God has you. I think that woman was compelled to get into that embarrassing, potentially embarrassing situation because she had been hearing about Jesus, healing people, saving people, loving people. And then this last thing was probably the, the kicker. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you, when they spurn you. That woman is saying, that's me. That's me. And she's looking for a new start. She's broken and she doesn't know where to go. She thinks this is her life. She thinks this is it. This is the end. One of the things they say about uh, um, people who are trafficked um, into the sex trade, if you look into their eyes, it's just dull. Because they've left. Because their soul has left. Because there's nothing here on this earth for them but pain and indignity and suffering. So they've left. Eyes are just blank. And so this prostitute coming in similarly has now heard that there's someone who can bring a fresh start. And she comes and she finally sees the man that she's heard about, so much about. He's here. She doesn't care where he is or who he's surrounded by. He's her last chance at life. And so she goes to him and she... Before she can even get a word out, she just, she's wrecked. Because now here in the flesh is the fresh start. Brothers and sisters, that's Jesus. That's what Jesus does for you. He's here. I want to share with you a song, a video clip, and... Um, 
it's a, it's a song sung from like the imagined perspective of this woman, this prostitute. Um, and as you, as you watch it, I want you to kind of pay special attention, if you would, to the reaction of the crowd as um, this woman is singing this song. And as you're going to find, this song is very explicit about Jesus. And it's interesting, it was interesting to me to see how that had such an effect on, on this crowd. Now, uh, disclaimer, obviously is, there are people in this clip who are not Christians, so they're going to be saying stuff that, you know, ooh, we'd be a little offended by. But you know what? That's, they're non-Christians, so why would they care about you know, the commandments. So, so understand that. That being said, um, watch this video and, and just watch the reactions of, of the people as they listen to the story of this song. You, know, you see the, the reactions of these, you know, people who, are, who haven't heard the gospel before and they're hearing it in song form. And you hear Demi Lovato, she's like, rip my heart out of my chest later on in the video. I, you know, for time I couldn't play it, but she also says, I'm still crying. And Simon Cowell, he even Simon Cowell, now you know, who uh, has a heart of stone, some would say, even he was like touched at the end of the video. He goes, um, "Yeah, I've never heard that song before." And, and Kelly Williams, but you were touched, wasn't he? Like, yeah. The story of Jesus has power that we can't even imagine. All, but we need to get it out there. We need to let it get unleashed. We need to witness of what He has done and what He will do. And that's what the, the, the point was today of sharing these stories. Story of Paul, someone who thought he was so um, righteous and doing something so great and realizing he was the biggest fool of all. And yet, God still loved him. Me, thinking I was all that, thinking that, you know, this is how I'm going to make my name, my, my place in the world by becoming a, a good Christian. And realizing even that was an idol because I had forgotten. I had subtracted God and I was playing, playing at Christianity instead of being with Christ and knowing who I really was and thank God for my kids who showed me that. And I'm still in the process. And then this woman who believed, she was on the opposite end. She believed the lie that she was worse than what she really was. And she finally came to meet a man, Jesus, who said, you're not a prostitute. You're my child. You're my sister. You have no place to belong. You belong here with me. And that ultimately is the story. Three stories, one God. And as I look in this room, we all have stories. And I would encourage you this week to really think about your own story and think about where God intersects it, and at that point, how he's doing amazing things, how his story is affecting your story. So at this time, I want to invite uh, Pastor Susung to lead us in uh, the Lord's Supper.